Well, welcome. Uh, we have with us today George Lenny, who's the pastor of Tobacco Trail Church in Durham, North Carolina. Uh, George is actually right up the road from me, about 45 minutes away. That's a pretty unique experience for two CBF New Church starts to be uh, so close together. Uh, George, welcome. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me. Now, you've got a bit of a unique story uh, in how you jumped in this process uh, and, and came up with this vision for Tobacco Trail Church. Tell us a little bit about what that looked like. Sure. Um, around 2009-2010, I had been somewhat recently ordained, coming out of uh, ordination in a uh, Baptist church in Charlotte, the Myers Park Baptist Church, and... I was in a unique setting. I was I was finding myself in a career in running and retail and what persists to this day, um, community outreach and marketing and and lots of the the world of running. And and I found myself not a pastor yet, but in my mind and in my heart, a pastor without a church. And I didn't quite fit in the boxes that I, that I was living in or living around. Um, I had some really deep connections to the Episcopal church. I had some deep connections to local Baptist churches, but God was, was stirring up something different as it turned out. And I had these two retail jobs, one at REI, which lots of people are familiar with, and then another at a small running store and both of them had me riding my bike to work on a fairly regular basis, once or twice a week, on an old railroad trail in Durham called the American Tobacco Trail. And I think what really plunged me in was I started to feel a need. So I had the need on my own heart, which I've described about wanting to be a pastor. I really felt that call. I, I was getting anxious in the pews when I was on the other side of the altar and the pulpit and 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 I thought I'm I'm being nudged I have to be in the leadership role that I've you know prepared for from Furman and Duke Divinity School and this type of thing but then more importantly than that I, I felt a need on the trail I felt like there should be prayer and worship on this trail and so over the course of the winter and spring of 2009-2010 I kept hearing this word from God that there ought to be a church out here of some sort. And I kept pushing it down and pushing it down. And then in the middle of the night on Monday, Thursday, between Monday, Thursday and Good Friday, I woke up out of the bed, the bedroom that I'm sitting in right now. And I wrote for about eight hours. And by morning, I, I, had, um, I had a document that described a version of the Tobacco Trail Church that we would have this outdoor gathering at different places along the trail. And six years later, we more or less do that from time to time. You know, many pastors um, love what they do. Um, you know, I, I can say for myself, honestly, that there hasn't been a day in the last six years in this process of um, pastoring Mosaic um, that I haven't wanted to go into work or even viewed what I do as work. Um, you know, so you're also very unique in the fact that you get to pastor doing something um, that you love, uh, and that is running. You're a competitive runner yourself. As 
you know, so what's that experience like to be able to include yeah. not just a, it's not a hobby for you. It is, it is your life. It's your livelihood. Um, it's what you enjoy doing the most and how you connect others. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because to, to, uh, I mean, I am a competitive runner. I'm not a competitive runner that would be, let's say fast enough to get paid for my actual running, but I'm peripheral to all of that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I would be one of those faster age groupers or I'm, I'm kind of on the faster side for a now 40 year old, uh, but, but not really fast enough to, to get paid just to make that distinction. Cause it's important there, there could be, um, you know, there's somebody that could have a, this type of ministry and their income actually came from, let's say winning races or, um, you know, making the Olympics or something like that. That that's not me. Um, but the public act of running and running well has really been a joyful thing. I knew this when I was a little boy, I knew it not as much in high school and college because I was injured a lot. And, and I was very, very sad that I wasn't running. And then in really, really dedicated, what can only in my mind and heart be godly ways, it's been really successful the last five to seven years in my mid and late thirties and now my early forties. And, you know, earlier, uh, last month I ran 439 for a downhill mile and it was downhill, 120 feet downhill from the beginning to the end. So it was really fast, but it was a certified mile course. And, that's the fastest mile I've ever run. Now it, it won't be that fast on the track. Like oh, a couple of weeks later, I ran 4:53. Um, but 4:39 was really fast and joyful and surprising. But the reason I even bring that up is one of the people who organizes that race is on staff at a South Raleigh church. It's a white guy at a predominantly African American church, and. When we see each other at races that we support one another at, and I wear the singlet, um, at least for that race, that that's his team, the Sir Walter Raleigh, the Sir Walter Running Club, but it's after Sir Walter Myler, and this is um, Sandy Roberts' organization. He's a 401 miler from Georgetown and NC State, but he's, he's really pursuing being professional clergy. We understand what we're doing and what we're about in in ways that we don't understand that this is our work for God. This is part of our work for God. That this might, uh, if if you ask me what it is to be successful, that this might be how we help make disciples or make better disciples. So we're, I'm just trying to be joyful about something that I love. And sometimes I feel like I'm cheating because it's not my head in a book enough and exegesis enough, but that's all my guilt and fear because Sandy has said very clearly that I've been a mentor and a pastor to him and certainly vice versa. And hopefully it's to a few hundred other people. And I just, I like running fast. I like running fast. Sometimes I like running a long way. I just, I love running and I want to help people um, be blessed by what they love to do. I really believe that God is blessing are great joys. And if we are the people that can kind of put language around that and, and put some meat on those bones, um, that's part of the work of, of our little corner of the body of Christ, our little finger or arm. 
Okay, let's just talk about the sheer fact that I, I cycle and I average about a four and four and a half minute mile cycling, <laughs> and you're running that fast. So let's just not be that humble, George. You, you're, you're pretty pretty dominant runner and i don't care your age you can still mop up the floor with uh with most of us so you talk about something that um that i think we need to get back to as ministers and that's the fact that do we love what we do and can we find ways to be who we are as individuals first and foremost as followers of christ first and foremost Instead of this idea of this professional ministry, yes, there is that side of what we do, uh, but how can we utilize the things that we love doing and do that for the kingdom of God? Um, do that in such a way that we are meeting real people with real needs with where they are in, in our community. You do that with running. I, I found my niches and the ways that I do that. And I wonder... Uh, if many of our colleagues have found that joy, have found that um, awakening, if you will, in ministry? Well, I don't know if they have. Some have voiced that they have not. Um, but this this is a, is a key piece, um, what you're getting at. One, they, um, they want to know more about that. They want to be sustainable, just like you and I want to be sustainable. And what we're describing here, where we've follow our, our passion, um, that's repeatable. And the church in its best of tradition is supposed to be repeatable. We could replicate this. Now it's like, wait a minute, will we replicate more running churches? No, let's hold on for a minute. Let's replicate more passionate clergy, laity, and Christians. Let's empower people to love what they do, do it in the name of God, share it with others, and be so bold as to call that the church. And I, and I've, it, or not, or don't call it the church. Maybe it's not a church start. Maybe it's a new ministry. I don't really care if I can be so bold and I, you know, almost became an Episcopal priest. So I really should care and I do care about liturgy and worship formation and we are to glorify God. But I really read in the scriptures that that we're to be really creative and dynamic about what that looks like. Fishermen should fish really, really well. Um, it, it's, not a, it's not just an off sort of add-on that, that John the Baptist, you know, comes in camel hair and eating locusts. Like, that's part of his mission. He's not just a baptizer, though that's what we call them. It's the whole package. It's the whole package of the, the mountain man coming out of the woods and it's going to come a bunch of different ways. You know, I've preached, and, and to, to, this, to connect this, if I can be so bold, I've preached at a more standard CBF church because Hope Valley Baptist Church wanted me to tell this story. And they're passionate, and they're, they're, they're being energized by Hope House and, and, and missions for refugees and all kinds of great things that that some of us listening know about in, in the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship in North Carolina. And I was preaching primarily on the story of A River Runs Through It by Norman McLean, where fly fishing for these sons of this Presbyterian minister becomes the theological understanding of how God works in time and how God's ordered and, you know, how under the rocks are the words of God. And, and then it's just fly fishing. It gets to be just fly fishing because fly fishing 
is beautiful and running is beautiful and painting is beautiful. And we, we need to just do beautiful, wonderful things that we love and trust that God will always put language to that, has already done that many, many times before. Well, for some of us, running is beautiful. You look very gracious when you're running. Um, you know, for others, we look like we are running from something. So, you know, you know, and I think I think one of the thoughts that people have around this idea, um, you know, of doing things like this is this as if like you have to set aside, as you said, the liturgy of, of the church. Um, but we find that you carry the liturgy with you. And also, you would be surprised at how open people are to engaging in a deeper type of liturgy than many churches do on a given Sunday morning. Uh, you know, so there is not a substitute for doing innovative uh, type ministry within this culture, you know, and then not doing uh, deep and thoughtful um, liturgy within the church. Um, and I think you, you've brought that. You know, you bring that to the trail on Sundays when you gather um, there is a deep, uh, there's a deep spirituality that's there, along with the deep spirituality of doing the things that give us life, uh, like running or like fly fishing, as you were uh, speaking about. So, you probably define success a little bit different than most people. So, how does George Linney and Tobacco Trail define success? Great question. Um, I think if we are making disciples, and probably in our context, making disciples better disciples. If we are doing that and we can account for a handful or an entire trail full or one or two at a time, if that is occurring, if people are getting better at their following and their faith and they're asking better questions about what is God doing here? What's God doing on the trail in my life, in the lives of those who matter to me? That success, as long as that is happening, and I think it is, uh, we're successful. And I think to come back to um, what you said, and I really, you know, you can't be dishonest. You have to be, and you know when people are and they aren't. I love what I'm doing. I mean, it's the the hat that is formerly the Tobacco Trail Church reflects maybe 10 to 15 percent of my time, though I would say all the rest of what I do is also pastor of the Tobacco Trail Church. But all of that, I really do love it. And when I don't love it, I won't do it anymore. I actually don't think uh, I don't think God or the world necessarily needs the Tobacco Trail Church. Um, the statistics are pretty uh, rough on church plants that don't make it, whatever that means. I actually think it's okay because I think those of us who are church planters are out on the edge asking questions about what the church is, and we're doing something for the body of Christ, whether we make it to institutional success or not. I'm actually not sure that's um, the best measure of success because God will grow what God will grow, and God will will change the season and end a season. Um, so I truly, in the last six years, more so than I would say four or five years ago, I'm really open to just continuing to ask the question, hey, God, are we still doing this? Yes, we are. Okay, cool. Let's, let's just keep doing this. Let's keep it easy, repeatable, um, 
it, it doesn't require an enormous financial burden because people are not um, motivated by that or they're strapped thin. And, and if my uh, finance, personal financial burden comes elsewhere, that actually creates a whole other missional ministry context. And, and from people like you and, and, and Linda Jones, I heard that very clearly. So I have intentionally um, remained in a bi or multivocational role and, and been thankful for it. Well, what you're able to do is live in the ebb and flow of the demographic that you're reaching. Um, you know, it's only natural if you are connecting well with the millennial and Gen X um, that there is a transient uh, group, um, you know, moving and flowing within um, careers and locations, uh, which means moving and flowing within congregations. And um, you know, we've experienced that mosaic and other CBF church sorts have experienced that where you might build up a, a solid base of people, but then you might lose some people due to relocation, due to um, those that are looking for something different, maybe even looking for the institutional church. And, and you know, then, then the question becomes of do we change our DNA uh, to simply maintain what people are expecting out of the paradigm they're living in church, or can we be something different and allow people to also experience church in a different way. And if it's not for them, it's not for them. Uh, great. Or you might be that you're empowering people to go start other tobacco trail church, wherever they might relocate, whether that be somewhere else in the triangle area of North Carolina or another state altogether. Maybe what a lot of churches would define the ebb and flow of people within and out of a congregation um, as a roadblock. What kind of roadblocks has Tobacco Trail Church faced? Well, I do. I think one, um, there is the emotional fatigue and exhaustion, and I, and I, and I'm really thankful for this because it gets affirmed by other church planters, um, coaches that I've had along the way. But you, you were talking, Andy, about the, some of the unique challenges of these kind of emergent churches. I think in my particular geographic area, which is the triangle, it's young, it's transitional, it's moving. So there's all these reasons that we're losing people, but it's challenging every time. I mean, it, 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 it wears you out. You're, it wears your ego out because you're thinking I'm not, um, our church is not good enough or something like that. But even when you get some distance from that, it's just, it's just exhausting to, to lose your friends. I mean, if the metaphor um, plays out, which I think it does, I think it's great biblically. Shepherds just don't want to lose even one sheep and, and are, and are going to have a lot of pain over that. So I think the, the more transient um, the, the church is, and I don't know that one uh, could be more than ours. I mean, different location, uh, not necessarily meeting every week. We're difficult to find in sort of the classic ways. You just don't know that we'll be there every Sunday for the next six months at 10 a.m. You just, we intentionally aren't that way. It, it hurts. So there's a, there's a great deal of um, just prayer and, 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 and sort of strength around that. And, you know, I, Time, time gets me better at it, but there have certainly been times where I've, where I've been weary from that. So, so I think that's a particular church planting and has some added uh, roadblock. I think the roadblock of people want program. They still want um, a sort of institutional organization, 
and ours is something different. So they uh, they have a hard time pouring into that financially or maybe spiritually and following along. And so trying to create that clarity, but also being willing to say we're intentionally messy and that's our DNA. Like our identity is not so clear, but that that can be really challenging. I think I think people I think largely people too from a financial standpoint they they want to tithe um, stuff, a seat, a pew, an air conditioning unit, and for better or worse or necessity, we're formed that way. Um, so we ch- we are we struggle financially in terms of growth. Um, but again, I, I've I've felt as healthy in the down financial months and seasons, as healthy spiritually in the downtimes as we have when there's been a lot of money in the bank. Um, we've been able to partner regardless, but, but those are, those are roadblocks, sort of the, the spiritual exhaustion, the financial exhaustion. Um, yeah, those, those are a couple. One of the challenges of being a relational model church, which is, you know, I don't know if the fair way to describe tobacco trail church, you know, it's, it's, it's real life together. It's not just gathering, um, on our set times for worship or for discipleship, but it's about living life together. And one of the challenges as ministers, as we live into this relational model, um, is that you're opening up your home to people. Uh, your children are playing with other people's children. You're sharing life with other people. And, and it hurts, I think, so much more uh, when people leave or when people relocate. Uh, and not that it doesn't for those that are in the traditional church uh, that have invested in people. Um, there's some sort of, you know, almost like a, a tearing uh, away at a part of your soul when you when you lose someone uh, due to conflict or when you lose someone due to relocation when you're in a, in a relational model church. And, and you know, it can be a struggle, uh, a struggle internally. Uh, certainly, I could say that as, as a minister. You also spoke there, um, people want to give to uh, programs, to institutions and, and things like that. So, it is almost to your advantage being such a, a bi-professional person that uh, it is low overhead for for a model that, that is to the Tobacco Trail Church. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's a shift and advantage that a lot of church shirts have um, where they might not have a space they're paying for, or if they are, it's, it's pretty inexpensive because of the amount of time they're using the space. Um, they might do programs, but it's not in the traditional sense. They might be writing their own curriculum. They're doing tangible and organic ministry projects in the community. And so some of the financial roadblocks uh, can somewhat be overcome by the way that you do ministry um, and these new church starts. I don't know if you could define this as a, as a roadblock, but I would certainly say it's an opportunity you know, for someone like uh, the Tobacco Trail Church, to not have a space of their own. I mean, literally nature is your space. And it also makes it interesting for things like weddings. Uh, you were sharing a story with me recently about some of the weddings that you've had the opportunity to officiate. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, last night I was at um, at a meeting at late night, uh, in, end of a technical session where the Brooks running uh sales rep and the technical rep were uh, showing us through some shoes and uh, they were some details of shoes. And then we, we went to, um, to a brewery afterwards and the sales rep 
uh, I officiated his wedding maybe two months ago in April. So because of a connection with my work in marketing for Fleet Feet Sports and then coming into opportunities to officiate weddings, well, I certainly don't have a place particularly. Someone could get married along the American Tobacco Trail. And, and we've done, I've done a few weddings that have been in kind of pop-up space. It's been really interesting. And there's more of that. Um, it doesn't cost anything. And uh, somebody got married in the UNC Arboretum and didn't ask permission and just showed up and did it. And they were like, are you worried about that? I'm like, no, that's kind of how we do worship every week. And it'll, it'll be just fine, uh, especially with a small group. But it's really been a neat opportunity to be accessible to a community of um, runners. I, I think probably of the roughly 20 couples that I've married, five or seven are not formally connected to the Tobacco Trail Church or any other network from home. They're in the running church, so to speak, that I pastor. No, they wouldn't claim membership in that, but... There are those young people, they want to get married by a Christian pastor. They want to get married in a unique setting like outdoors or at a restaurant. And and they asked me to be pastor of it. They asked me to be the officiant. And it's just been an amazing opportunity because I hear from a lot of folks that they don't like doing weddings. And I, I put on a pretty professional hat when uh, when weddings come up where I really want to talk to people. Um, I, I don't have demands about how many times we meet before. Sometimes we do meet before. Sometimes we meet three times before. Sometimes we don't meet at all, depending on the uh, conditions. Weddings, I think, are challenging for lots of pastors because whatever not can go wrong does go wrong, but whatever can go different does go different. And I'm kind of uniquely prepared for that because that's true in outdoor worship. And I just love it. I love being able to tell stories at meetings six months later in the running specialty world context that I officiated these people's weddings. And maybe I asked them to come to the Tobacco Trail Church once for worship. So, so weddings has been, have been um, a real part of the ministry, sort of another connective piece. And, and I just, I love doing them. I get excited about them. I love going to them. Sometimes, you know, if my family gets to go, it's a dance opportunity and all that kind of thing. But it, but it, it's often by that kind of couple that doesn't really have a pastor, but they want one. And usually there's really good conversations with their families. You know, somebody's coming from a, a New England Catholic background and the other's not so much in the church. And they often say afterwards, you know, I, I would I would give church a chance if it were were like the the church that you talk about pastoring. That that's got to be good to God. That's got to be pleasing to God for for that to be said. Because because they're they're hearing that it's still, you know, I'm still preaching from Corinthians or John. I'm 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 preaching the gospel, but they're feeling free outdoors. They're feeling like they could. Um, come to this freely. And we should all feel that we can come to this freely because we can. And I listen to you talk about uh, ministry in this type of way. It seems very natural. Uh, it seems so organic. It's, it, it seems real. 
Uh, and so I'm grateful for uh, the work that you're doing, for the real work that you're doing, for your willingness to take the gospel and the kingdom ministry with you wherever you go, um, whether that be at Fleet Feet um, or on the American Tobacco Trail in Durham or performing these weddings up on the go. Um, thank you for your, for your great work, George. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining this Church Starts Conversation. For more information about church starting and other initiatives by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, visit cbf.net.